Good morning. I thought I would be coming and taking my coat off, but that's not going to happen. Will you please pray with me? God, you are the answer of all Advent. You are what we wait for, what we waited for. So in this moment, oh God, we pray that your spirit would touch us, illuminate our minds and hearts so that we might be open to the newness that you bring into an old story. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, to celebrate and love and find joy. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So my daughter was born on February 27th, but she was due on February 12th. So there was a lot of Advent going on, if you can imagine. There was, you know how when you're getting ready, and she was the first one when you're getting ready, you've got the bag packed. You've got, I mean, you're just, do, you do everything according to the, you know, the instructions that come with having a baby, right? You know, we had the focus ball, we had the bag packed, the room was ready, and she just wouldn't come. And so the advent was getting a little irritating. And uh, so we lived in a, a, a house, and it had a steep hill uh, behind it. And every day, oh, I'm so sorry, whosoever tablet I just broke. <laughs> so every day, um, I would go into the, you know, after February 12th, I would go in the back and just climb up that hill. Now, I'm five feet tall. And when I was, uh, when I was very pregnant, I looked like I was a bowling ball, with my eyes being the two where you put your fingers through it, because I was just around like this. And people would stop and say, are you okay? You know, because it was just terrifying to them to see this bowling ball trying to walk up this hill and come down. Anyway, uh, on the 27th, she finally decided to arrive. And she came into the world at 10 pounds. Now, that's why I was a human bowling ball. And I, bl I blame her to this day. No amount of hoping, wishing, no amount of work that I did, nothing that I could do could make her come any faster than when she was ready to come. Nothing. She came in her own time. When her daughter Briella was born, I was living in South Carolina. I flew out for a grandmother's shower where it was really nice. All of the friends got together and it was not for me, but it was so I could be there. And we had this great grandmother shower. It was wonderful. And then I flew back that afternoon, got off the plane, got to my house, got a call from Sarah. She's pregnant. She's uh, giving birth. Didn't even unpack my bags. Got back on the plane, came back out, had the shuttle take me directly to the hospital and carted all my luggage into the room to see Briella being born. That kid was going to come in her own time. No wishing or hoping, nothing I could do was going to make anything happen. So I might as well just enjoy every second of it instead of worrying and, you know, and, and being ground up about this. Today we come to a particular scripture that to me, I, I really struggle with this scripture. And, and, I'll, and I'll show why uh, 
as we move along into it. But I struggle with it as a scripture that we lift up as Christians and that the Christian world kind of came to in that time because it was a story, instead of celebrating Jesus coming, it was, let's look at when Jesus comes again. So we come to the scripture, Matthew 24, 36 through 44. And I'm honestly not sure what version this is in. Is it NIV? NIV? Okay, if you'll show it up here, because I have it differently here. All right, so you can read along. But about that day or hour, no one knows. And that's because they're asking, when is, when is Christ going to be returning again? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only God knows. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So also, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. So this is problematic. The scripture is a little problematic. First, it's talking about Noah and everything being wiped out because of sin. Then it's talking about a bunch of thieves breaking into your house. What on earth does this have to do with Advent? Because uh, it seems an odd place to drop this particular, uh, this particular scripture on us at a time when we're celebrating actually hope. But it does make sense in a way, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, we've just come off of uh, a, for most people, a season of gratitude. So we ate a lot, we played a lot, we saw people, uh, maybe some old things were raised. I mean, we are, after all, you know, only human. But we did come off of a season that was just a festival, a festival because it's also the beginning for us of the holiday season. We all kind of lumped that together. So we, we carry satisfied bruises from some of you who went out in the middle of the night to buy stuff. We have a, sen a sense of accomplishment for those smug type of people who got their tree up and the house decorated and um, packages already wrapped and we all hate you. You just need to know that. But where is there room for such a scripture as this? And the only place it can really be found is in Advent, that in-between place, that in-between place where it's the bridge that links the past and the future together in a way that's mystery for now. We don't really know, but we do know. That's the tension that we hold as modern Christians. We don't know, but we do know, but we're being asked to go back and to relive that coming and to be able to relive that birth of Christ in our own heart and the fact that Christ will be born in the hearts of those uh, who, who don't yet know him. It's the waiting time. It's that time in the middle of the night when you, 
wake up and your heart is pounding and you don't know why. It's that time when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's that time when you take a deep breath and you hold it. That's what it felt like. And I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for just a second and think to a moment where you were waiting. And maybe you were waiting for something really important. Not a package from Amazon, but maybe a call from the doctor, a call about the job, a call about the house, a call about the child, a call about the parent. Thank you. You come back from waiting and we... we allow ourselves to viscerally be in the waiting. And we know that what that's like to be hanging on a precipice like that with such uncertainty for the future. And yet we don't remember that the future is always uncertain. Not even, not just in those times, but we don't control the future. We have no control over the future. We can steer the boat. We can hope for the direction it's going in, but we have no control over the elements that come into making the future. Avid happens on any given day in which we are, the demand on us is to just hold still and to be still and to be quiet. It's fundamentally not an easy season. It was never meant to be an easy season. It's that waiting in between. And when we're asked to go back to the beginning, we're asked to go back to a time in the world where there was no hope of, of a savior. That's what we're being asked to return to. No hope of a savior. And when the savior came, there was this image of what that savior would look like. The image was the savior would come all our problems would be over. We would be in charge. The Romans would be defeated and be our slaves. And we would once more be at peace with the world and have everything we want, have enough food. In, in essence, it would be a paradise again when the Christ comes. So that was the type of waiting, that breathless, heart-pounding, waiting for the people before Christ came. And then Christ came. And the darkness is shattered. And the baby comes. And the prophecies are fulfilled. And all of these things happen. But the thing that doesn't happen is that the Savior that came doesn't build the kingdom that they're expecting. So is there, if you can understand that, you understand that there was a basic disappointment in the type of Savior that Jesus was. A disappointment. Well, okay, that's all nice and, and well and good, but when are we going to get free of the Romans? When are our children going to have enough to eat? When are we not going to be oppressed? When are all these things happening? Now we come to this particular scripture. This is, this, this uh, Matthew was written about 60, 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
So the stories about Jesus have been circulating in story form without being written down for about 50, 60 years. And these had all changed and shifted and moved about. So then also, they're, they're, to me, I don't know how you might read it, but to me, there is a growing uh, uh, dissatisfaction with the way the present is and the expectation for what the future would be. And so this community, we know, began to obsess with the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ didn't really cut it. Even though they were Christians, and even though what they had been introduced to was the slow kingdom coming. Even the parables of Jesus talk about the slow kingdom coming. They, they, they're still captors of, the, of a Roman rule. But they look around and they see the world is, is cold and dark and people are still oppressed and we're still hungry. And, and it doesn't look like the, the little guy is going to win. So, so we love Jesus, but maybe we ought to look for the second coming of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes the second time, that's when we're really going to see some action. That's when it's really all going to happen. And to me, I think about that. And I think about how Christians are always begging for forgiveness as well. Begging for forgiveness. And I always want to say, I I want to challenge them sometimes to say, okay, you've got it. You're you're forgiven. Now, how are you going to live into that forgiveness? Stop begging for forgiveness and live like a forgiven person. But sometimes it's easier for us to just keep doing the same thing and begging for that forgiveness when I don't know what God has to do besides come, besides teach, heal, die, be raised from the dead and show us that we are forgiven. Hang from the cross and say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we come to this particular scripture and we look at the way that they're still humiliated and suffering. They're disappointed that the wrath of God hasn't come and struck the Romans down. And just like people from all time who feel helpless and impotent and and they want to change the present, the present is so awful. They want to change it, and they can't, so they focus on the future when things will be different. So they begin to hope in something that hasn't happened instead of hope in something that has. And we're not that far off the mark. How many times do you say to yourself, when? When this happens, when that happens, when I'm skinny, when I gain weight, when I have long hair, when I have a better job, when I retire, when I, when I have more money, I'll be able to be more generous. I'll be able to do more things. How many of you live your lives with the what ifs and when? Instead of right now, this moment is what you have. This moment, Jesus is here. Jesus has come. And Jesus has planted the seeds. And we just are so um, 
obsessed with what we think it ought to look like when those seeds are planted, that we refuse to see the reality of what is actually there. That we have a community that longs for justice and peace in the world. Let's make it happen. That we have, we have hearts that have been turned away from just serving ourselves to serving each other. So let's live that. We have all the hope we need right now. How can we share that hope? And that hope is the hope of Christ that's waiting to be born into the lives of all those who don't yet know Christ. But I think it's so interesting because Jesus also says in verse 36, the writer Matthew has Jesus saying, Neither the angels of heaven nor the sun know when that day will come. I didn't know when Sarah was going to be born. Sarah didn't know when Briella was going to be born. But I know that for us, when we're born, we're born into this light that has come into the world. We have something to tell somebody. We have something to share with them. No, you don't have to wait until a Savior comes. We don't have to say that to anyone. We can say, the Savior has come. The Savior is here. All the hope you need is in this very room. There's quite enough love in this room to change our whole community. There's quite enough love in this room to literally change the world, or at least the world that each of us live in. The Jesus of these verses calls us to a life of work in a spirit of wakefulness. What are we to be awake for? For that second coming of Jesus from the sky? I don't think that's how the scripture is relating to us. The scripture is relating to us, say, you never know when you're going to run into Jesus. It might be that person right around the corner. It might be that, that homeless person in the doorway. It might be a child that needs a home. It might be Jesus is saying, you never know when you're going to run into the Christ. You never know when you're going to be face to face with God. And it calls us from that historical anxiety of people feeling like this was a literal story about you and I were going to be, you know, the cars that have the bumper stickers on. If there's no, you know, watch out. If there's nobody driving, the raptures come. It's so um, smug because it's saying when obviously you're still here driving, reading this bumper sticker, you know. And there's that anxiety that somehow there's going to be a different choosing and that the choosing is going to be uh, based on behavior and not on heart and not on God's choosing, on Jesus' choosing. And I don't know about you, but I choose Jesus' choosing a lot more than I choose my choosing because Jesus has this, this deep, remarkable, unexplicable love for us. We don't get it and we don't have to. We just have to embrace it and live into it. We have all the hope that we need right now, today, because we know the story. 
We know how the story ended at one point and began all over again. We have that story. So the Advent for us is not just Advent for us. It's Advent for a world that doesn't yet know who Jesus is. It's a call to, it's a call to that. We wait in hope and we also wait in memory. We remember how the world was before Jesus was in the world. But we know how the world is after Jesus. Yes, there's still a lot of darkness. There's still poverty. There's still all of this stuff. But Jesus says, we are the body of Christ. And now we place our hope that the Spirit of God will move the body to action. And that we will be part of ushering in this great kingdom that everybody is living in partially now. Just Jesus is just around the corner, like a hungry person or a neighbor who needs a coat or someone sick or in prison. Therefore, we must be ready. Be ready to see Jesus in the face of someone that you least expect. Be ready and watchful to know when it is your time to step up and help. Be aware and alert to the things that God is doing in the world. And hope will come. The deepest and best and highest will come, not from our work, not from what we do, but from somewhere deep inside and outside and beyond it. And it's the first sigh of relief that we get as a world when we recognize that we don't need to know everything. We don't need to know everything. We just need to recognize God when we see God and we have history and we know when God is tugging at our hearts and we know when we're being called and we're being convicted. And sometimes we ignore it and sometimes we resist it, but we know it's there. We're very aware of that. The voice of Jesus has assured us if we do what we can in a spirit of hope and trust, it's enough. Ann Weems is a wonderful writer and a poet that reflects and catches the essence of the lived and witnessed gospel. And I think once in a while, I don't know how many of you ever read poetry or listen to poetry or read scripture, the beautiful poems of scripture, but once in a while, it's a good thing to just let beautiful things into your mind and let them roll off your tongue. So I, I would like for us to inresponsibly lift up this particular poem by Anne Reams called The Coming of God. And you see one, I'll be one, you be people. Our God is the one who comes to us in a burning bush and in an angel song. Our God is the one who cannot be found locked in the church. Our God will be where God will be with no constraints. Our God lives where our God lives and destruction has no power. Our God will be born where God will be born. When God is ready, even to a God-forsaken place, Watch, watch, God comes.
God comes. God has come. And now it's our wonderful privilege to share that news with the whole world. The good news that came to us in the form of an angel coming to Mary and the angels and the angel announcing on the hillside, for unto you today is born in the city of David. We have that good news now and it's ours to share.